oh, how you're doing, how is your meditation, how can I assist you, anything you like to share, or, yeah, please, Daniel. This is very painful. <laughs> very painful? Someone was mentioning it looks like they have translated Lungta Mahabua even into Italian now. Dukkha Vedana Mama Mia. A bit of a joke, but you, you get the point. It's, uh, it's quite interesting how strong pain affects the mind, isn't it? And you're speaking, I can sense your, your emotion. Very low intensity pain, and I was aware that out of 10, it was a 2 or a 3, but mm -hmm. somehow it came, it's because I couldn't move. Yeah, it's psychological. Um, when Lungta Mahabua noticed that, he determined he wanted to sit longer. And then he was surprised, and he didn't change the posture for quite a while, and then the pain started building up. And he noticed you know, that uh, it's quite overwhelming, and then his response was, okay, now I want to know. And then he simply determined you know, that he will not break the posture and would just sit through the night. And uh, he was quite surprised you know, that even the very strong pain was very marginal to the pain which came an hour later and that was still very marginal compared to the pain another hour later so it is a very worthwhile subject to investigate on the other hand you said you couldn't move I'm not quite sure why you say that it's possible to move it's not like it's prohibited to, to move and in particular if you just change you know, from one leg to the other, or you could sit on a chair. The other thing which we always have to distinguish in pain, which can be quite difficult, now when we do Vedana Nupasana in the Satipatthana, the four foundations of mindfulness, or the second foundation of mindfulness, is the contemplation of feelings, pain and pleasure. And the Buddha gives certain distinctions we can make there. And one which there is actually not mentioned, but which is also a valid way of distinguishing different forms of a painful and pleasant feeling is mental or physical. And uh, if it is uh, the pain in the bone, now this is a physical pain. But whenever we have physical pain, there's usually a mental response. And sometimes it's not so easy to say uh, which pain are we actually dealing with and which one is the main issue. And you're on 
your first retreat, at least in Dhammagiri, so you may be sitting noticeably more meditation yesterday than normally. And you will find that there is not only a physical difficulty in sitting longer, but there is also a, a mental urge to move. And there's also a mental struggle. It's not just that we can't physically sit, but it's also that the mind becomes restless, that we encounter the defilements which otherwise may not be so apparent, that we notice urges and desires which we never quite have been aware of, and that we are dealing with that. And it may not be so easy to distinguish what is really physical pain in the sitting and what is the issues in the mind. And then we can investigate that. Because you said out of ten it was only a two. Yeah, I think it's a medical, uh, sorry, medical mental quality to it, just thinking that I can't make a loud sound, therefore I'm restricting my movement, therefore I'm trapped in this sort of... Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it definitely was mostly mental, because it didn't really hurt, but it, it felt stronger, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense. I totally can relate to that, even myself. Just today when I sat down, because with this rope, I'm not sitting like this in my kutin, I'm not sitting wrapping a rope around me in this, in this style, and here, and then I've got three layers. And so I come here and I sit down, and I notice once I was sitting, I noticed it was quite uncomfortable. I wouldn't call it pain, but the way the ropes here and there was just... But it would have looked a little bit odd as a meditation teacher here if I'm sitting for five minutes and readjusting and fiddling about with my ropes, now maybe getting up and sorting it all out. And so I started off and I thought, oh dear, this is really quite uncomfortable. But uh, I succeeded in just letting go and somehow it sorted itself out. Quite amazing that once I let go of the feeling that I had to adjust a few things there. In the end, it was quite okay. And it showed, though, though it originally started as a physically feeling so a little bit uh, misarranged, you know, that it was more mental than I would have thought uh, once I let go of that. And then uh, after a while, it was all okay. So we always investigate, you know, what is going on? And uh, investigate why were you under such a strong feeling that you can't move? You know, you're, you're just sitting there in the back and then no one will really respond so strongly, even if you quietly get up and sit on a chair. No big issue. Now, the other thing is if you don't want to make pain your meditation object, but your intention is, let's say, to do metta, loving-kindness, or to do breath meditation, now then the pain is not really helpful. It will just make it very difficult to focus on your main meditation object. So there's nothing wrong about you know, trying to become reasonably comfortable. There's a limitation here in the meditation hall because we look a little bit odd if you bring a whole mattress. And, but, uh, 
other than that, maybe we still have some stools there. We have the chairs in the background. So feel free not to kind of adjust yourself, not that you're quite comfortable. You see, the original posture of sitting cross-legged is not meant to be painful or even uncomfortable. But for people who have the necessary flexibility, which is mostly the hip joint, it is uh, actually an extremely comfortable and stable posture. It's the opposite. It's not meant to, to be a kind of physical pain torture, but it's probably one of the best uh, postures when you have the flexibility and you're used to it, to actually sit really a long time, quite stable and without pain and without difficulties. Yeah. I know you are not a yoga teacher, but how can I improve my flexibility to potentially be able to sit cross legged Because at the moment I cannot, mm -hmm. so I sit like this. If, first of all, you have to do exercises daily and you have to give it a lot of time in your age. Because the cultures which sit on the floor, that is from childhood. And in my own age, I started at about 27, 28. And it took me quite a few years. I couldn't sit like that at all in the beginning. The really crucial one, it's a hip joint. And the hip joint has some of the strongest ligaments in the whole human body. So you have to like, gradually kind of uh, loosen and make more flexible some of the strongest ligaments in the whole human body. On the other hand, you know, the knee is very fragile. And um, the elbow joint, for example, can move only in one direction. It's just like you know, the door, and you have you know, that kind of, what do you call that, that kind of you know, joint, so to speak, for a door. Uh, with the knees, it is almost like that, but it has a little bit of flexibility to the side, but very little. And it's not meant to get into the cross-legged posture by increasing the flexibility of your knees. It has to come out of the hip. So when you do the exercises, you have to find a few good ones which really work on the hip without straining the knee. And I have uh, known people, including monks, who have really uh, wound their knees. have to be careful. Uh, there's one, uh, <laughs> as you're talking about yoga, there's one yoga exercise. I think it's called the cow. And... Uh, some people use it to make themselves more flexible, but it's actually really doing your knees in. So you, you would have to, so you really aim for that, that you want to sit at least, let's say, half lotus, or even just cross-legged comfortable, and you have to give it quite a bit of time and uh, gradual daily stretching exercises. I can't give an exact instructions. But the really crucial one is no, don't try to get into the posture because it is easier, so to speak, no, to fiddle around with the knee. It's much weaker. And no, the tendency is that no, people try then to do it out of the knee. It's, it's very bad. And no, the hip is really takes time. The other thing that you may want to consider whether you have the uh, perseverance and the time to really do that. I started as a monk, and obviously I've got lots of time, is one of my 
main job, so to speak, and sitting and um, I was still in my 20s. But um, say, if someone starts as a Westerner in their 50s, it may be quite difficult. And then you may rather want to try to become uh, happy in a easier posture where you don't need that flexibility. And one is the stools. And I think in terms of energy flow, you know, the um, sitting on a stool, which has you know, the right kind of inclination, the right size, height, is actually not far behind than from, from sitting um, half lotus. And the other one is on a chair. Uh, admittedly, you know, the chairs we have are not really ideal. If you were sit on a chair, you, first of all, don't want to lean against a backrest. You may notice now I have a backrest here, these cushions, but I'm not leaning against it when I sit meditation. The maximum you would want to do is maybe having a little bit of a support for your lower back. But once you lean your shoulders, it just kind of destroys the posture and the energy flow, and it becomes more like a slouching. So if you sit on a chair and you don't lean against the back, and you sit out, and um, most chairs, if you sit, if you sit in this direction, most chairs tend to go back. I think even those do that a little bit. It should be rather the other direction. The chair should be either completely flat or incline a little bit towards the front. And you will sit better. And you keep the legs apart a little bit. And then you can alternate between uh, sitting on a chair, walking, sitting on a stool, and then there's also the standing posture. You may want to experiment with that. Then you've got already quite a bit of uh, variety. Because quite frankly, if you find it extremely difficult to sit even just cross-legged on the floor, and it will take a tremendous effort, and you need perseverance probably for a couple of years of, of daily exercises to really uh, achieve that. Yeah, please. Um, okay. How many monks do um, meditate on a chair? Yeah, for sure. Ajahn Kemanando, because he did his knees in by... People with injuries? Just people with injuries or something? Yeah, in his case, it's injury. You see, for monks, in our, in our tradition, uh, we just don't sit on chairs. It's a little bit difficult. And uh, in, in Thailand, he's really struggling with that. You see, if you sit on the same level and there's a monk senior to you, you can't even put your sitting cloth if the more senior monk doesn't have the sitting cloth because it's considered very impolite to be higher even just by one layer of cloth. So uh, unless you're already super senior, which usually in a Buddhist culture means you've got to be about 100 years old, and then you're quite comfortable on sitting on a chair because you will be the most senior. Other than that, it's quite difficult. But in lay life, you usually don't have these issues. 
met I know Ajahn Kimanandu who did his knees in by walking in flip-flops in Thailand up and down the hills a lot and so on. And uh, he just can't sit on, on the floor anymore and, and he regularly sits on on uh, chairs for meditation and I'm pretty sure Lumpur Sumedho will use it now as well. Now he's in his um, late 80s now, I think. Late 80s, no, I don't think he could, I think he can still sit cross-legged, but I'm pretty sure he will also meditate sitting. I sit on chair sometimes in the kuti. And this monk, Ajamaneyo, is meditating on a chair, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes cross-legged, but sometimes sitting on a chair. Yeah, yeah. Because even when you are flexible, it's not just the flexibility. In one monastery, we had a yoga teacher, an Aussie guy, and he, he could do one of these really weird postures, the sitting, the, how do you call that, the fully, uh, the, completely the, the legs to the side and then down to the floor, and this really um, kind of like an acrobat. But the funny thing is you know, that he also couldn't sit an hour still. We could see it was actually something in the mind. You can't really resolve that only by having a perfect posture. And a good one is not just changing. So you notice some pain or your knee gets sensitive and you just sit on a chair. is an easy to answer question whether you can sit in the full lotus has in no way to do with your Theravada or Mahayana robes and uh, I wouldn't recommend anyone who's coming from normal western culture to just train themselves by sitting full lotus for an hour straight away I think the danger is, is, is very high that you do um, a permanent damage straight away I remember myself uh, in this period when I try to increase my flexibility and I actually try to go for full lotus and I could sit it and then I gradually increased and I think when I reached about half an hour I noticed when I did walking meditation that there was this strange <laughs> and this uh, movement and uh, I immediately stopped it and I think it was a very wise decision so if you have people who just when they start as monks and they immediately sit uh, full lotus for an hour and they're either coming from a culture where they're already very flexible. I think uh, females are often a little bit more flexible naturally. I think the men are often a little bit more unflexible as it appears to me. And uh, if they're from Asian background uh, that may help. But uh, normally this is not the way how you can do that. By just sitting full lotus for an hour you will just do your knees in or other things. It's not so easy. Some people can do it. And I, I remember one friend I have who has zero, I mean, from lay life, 
is zero interested in, in meditation, he's zero interested in any spiritual practice or doing yoga. But even as a teenager, he could sit full lotus with absolutely zero effort. He was just totally flexible without having done any exercise or anything. In fact, when we were uh, on some outing from school, someone took a photo because he was kind of sleeping. He was lying half on his side, but had his, his, his legs in full lotus while he was sleeping. And I'm not sure it must be maybe from some past life. Maybe this is how I knew him from a past life when we are both monks, I don't know what, but in this life absolutely nothing in terms of interest or doing yoga. But he had that flexibility. So some people can do that. But uh, remembering how I was and it wasn't even the worst in terms of flexibility, it was simply not possible for me to sit for lotus at all in the beginning. It was not possible to sit half lotus even. Yeah, the back upright is very important. Um, people overemphasize the cross-legged. What is important is sitting, sitting uh, with the back upright. I can easily keep the back really upright. Um, I guess you can decide if you want to respond. I respect that. I guess I'm wondering if, if I don't, if I only do walking meditation or predominantly walking, is that a problem? I tend to have a sleep problem as well, where if I close my eyes, I'm out like a lion, and also it's uncomfortable. So I 90% of the time will walk. Am I missing out on anything by not sitting? No, you can do 100% if you wish. You can do 100% walking. It's harder to focus, but it's just more enjoyable, so I... Yeah, you do, do a lot of walking. I'm pretty sure you will come back to doing some sitting anyhow. <laughs> once, once you're working eight hours, walking eight hours a day and so on, you may enjoy some sitting, at least 20 minutes or something. So I don't think you will get to 100% anyhow, particularly if you practice quite a bit. But if you only have one hour, and uh, walking works perfectly well for you, and then just do one hour walking. Yeah, that is another one I should mention. There's a, just like with this full lotus, and it's a very strong perception for people that it has to be a sitting posture. But walking is an excellent one. And in some ways, I think it's the most Buddhist posture. Walking. Of course, when the Buddha attained Sambodhi, he was in, in the uh, lotus posture. But there's also, uh, for example, in the Indian tradition, it's very common to sit in a cross-legged Hindu, different Hindu traditions. And I could imagine that some other Asian cultures and other religions will still have that. But to have really methodically training in walking meditation and doing that a lot, I'm not so sure that really exists anywhere else. For example, to have a walking meditation path, I would really like to know whether uh, that is really in any other tradition. I mean, they had this in, in, in the cloisters, the cloister in monasteries, a Christian monastery, I think you call it the cloister. And I think they may have used that also to just walk a little bit and contemplate or maybe pray while walking. But particularly in a construction where it's normal that for every cabin you have this 
20 meter whatever walking meditation path as a standard equipment and that you expected me to walk up and down on a dedicated meditation path I'm not aware of that existing anywhere outside of uh, the Buddha Dhamma or to give you some boost when you do that you can contemplate that you're doing the most Buddhist thing <laughs> yeah. and I think it's particularly good for a young western male because the element of the restlessness and, and having to move is just so strong. But if you're focusing on where I'm not okay with the that I get less distracted because mm -hmm. I'm not daily anymore. It has limitations for developing obviously full samadhi. It may be very difficult to have full jhana by walking. But you can just end up walking slower and slower. And sometimes you know, they have even a seat at the end of the walking path that you can, just before the samadhi hits you, you can just quickly sit down. Or here the path is close to the kuti, so you can quickly get in the kuti and, and then bang, samadhi. I, I went and like, uh, I hear the mantra, I think all of them on the half law, I don't see any meditation Buddhism. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but again, don't, it doesn't fit together with what you just said, that meditation is about training the mind continuously in mindfulness and awareness. And now what you're so impressed with is that they are sitting on the ground without a cushion. And you see, this is exactly all the problem. Because we all know when I sit now on the ground without a cushion, everyone will talk about me years later <laughs> in a different country that they see me sitting in full lotus on a floor without a cushion. But can you see what's happening in my mind? Whether I'm just having sensual thoughts or whether I'm just half nodding or whether I'm just steaming with anger. And so it's about the mind.